It's showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast for the first time in 2021, which is pretty crazy because it is February, but... What are you going to do? My name is Sho, as always, and uh, again, as always, I promised that we would get another podcast episode before the end of December, and we did not do so. I I just got to, I said this a million times, we just got to stop, and by we, I mean me, got to stop promising things, because yeah, sport work has just been crazy with sports and so on. I think I mentioned before, I work at a radio station, and you would imagine that radio as a format is probably slowly going the way of the dodo in, in favor of podcasts, really, right? But but uh, radio is still relatively popular, and uh, sports talk radio specifically is relatively popular as well, um, especially here in the city of Toronto, the Raptors, the Leafs, everything else, the the tangential uh, fandom, let's say, of the Buffalo Bills. So all of that has kept me pretty busy, and uh, 2021 has been pretty wild as well. Who uh, Anyone who raises their hands to say that uh, they thought that 2021 would be different than 2020, I, I, I look, raised my head halfway, right? I, I definitely thought that it would be relatively similar. But, I mean, look, January got off to a crazy start here in North America politically um, and, and otherwise as well. And the pandemic is still here. No signs of it really going anywhere, even though vaccines are being uh, rolled out. So, you know, I, as far as that pertains to movies, the the movie the movie world hasn't really 100% changed all that much. You know what I mean? Like, we talked about this before uh, during the pandemic, but... Yeah, not not a lot of uh, big releases, right? Like, I mean, right right now we would be gearing up for the Oscars, right? The Super Bowl was last week, and after the Super Bowl is typically the Oscars within a couple of weeks, and the Oscars are have been pushed back to April. So it's funny to think that you know all of the Oscar talk that we usually do won't be uh, won't be happening for a couple of months. And when when we get to the Oscars, I obviously will we'll, we'll talk about the Oscars like we always do, right? We'll get we'll get someone on chat the Academy Awards, chat the the categories that I think that are the most uh, most likely. Some of the underdogs, right? Like that's that's we do. Those are things we do every single year here on the on the Showtime Movie Podcast, no doubt. And we will absolutely continue that. But it's just weird to think that it's all been pushed back to April, right? So I think. Uh, although here, here's a here's a tidbit for you. If you can bet money on anything, and I've I've dabbled in putting some shekels here and there on little bets when it comes to sports. If you can bet on movies, I would bet the house on Soul winning Best Animated Feature. Right. And I mean, it's probably one of those things where the odds are uh, not that great because it's probably like what, like minus 8000 for soul to win versus like plus, like uh, you know, 150 or whatever for all, all the other ones. Because, yeah, soul is a pretty I feel like that's a, the most the biggest lock, let's say, because we got some other movies as well. I mean, Nomadland probably is right now the front runner for best picture. We'll see about the acting awards and so on. But, yeah, it's been a it's been a weird year. Generally speaking, it's been a weird year. That could probably sum up the first three minutes of this podcast. It has been a strange end to 2020 and a stranger beginning to 2021. So I, I hope that you are all staying safe out there. I really do because uh, I love interacting with you guys. And we, we all love watching and talking about movies. So we'll, we'll continue to do that here on the Showtime Movie Podcast going forward. But you know, before we get to the, the three movies we'll be talking about today, we'll talk about Wonder Woman 1984. We'll talk about Soul, which I talked about, mentioned about already with the with the betting and so on. And we'll talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay, those are the three movies we are going to review today. But it's funny because I haven't actually, admittedly, watched a whole ton of new movies in 2021 so far. And not because, not for a lack of trying, but also because 
I don't know about you guys, but when when I am tired, okay, when I am tired after work, and I work really weird hours, like I work like, you know, like 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., or then the next day I'll work 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., you know what I mean? Like it's kind of all over the place. Shift work is really weird. I love my job, but shift work is weird. And because of that, when you're done a weird shift, I... I just sometimes want to just veg out without having to commit to watching, let's say, like a two and a half hour movie. And I think because of that, I have tended, typically over the last little while, I have slanted a little bit more towards TV. And if you follow me on Twitter, specifically this podcast, which is at show, uh, S-H-O, Time Movies on Twitter, uh, and you can always uh, send leave comments there or whatever. I like interacting with you guys. I find that... The TV has been easier to digest when you're when you're exhausted because most TV shows are like let's say if it's a half hour comedy or a 45 minute drama which in you know without commercials 45 minutes with commercials an hour but uh, I find I've I've slanted a little more in 2021 towards television like I basically watched this is crazy okay I basically watched the entirety of that uh, Cinemax slash HBO Max uh, TV show called Warrior. Two seasons of that so far. Probably not going to get a third season, I don't think, because of the way that the production, uh, I guess, sh- shook out, right? It's a Cinemax product, and then Cinemax is now owned by HBO, and there's a bit of a question mark whether HBO is going to continue a product or that's, that's not 100% theirs or wasn't 100% theirs, even if it is 100% now. Um, but yeah, Warrior, uh, which is about... A, uh, a Chinese immigrant in the 1800s who comes to San Francisco, and he is a, a martial arts whiz and ends up joining one of the gangs, referred to as Tongs in The Warrior, and uh, in the battle for you know the soul of San Francisco in Chinatown. And it's a very, very good. I gotta say, if anyone likes movie-quality action fights, Warrior is as close as you'll get to it in 2020 and 2021, right? And I think the season two actually only came out in January of 2020, so... Uh, it's relatively recent, very well filmed, great cast, super stylish. I, I love it so much. It's, I, I wish I wish to death it's going to get a, a season three. And the, the cool thing behind it is that Justin Lin, if you guys remember, he is the director of the Fast and the Furious movies, or some of them at the very least. He partnered with Shannon Lee, the daughter of Bruce Lee, martial arts legend Bruce Lee, um, because apparently Bruce Lee created this project back in the 70s. And when he took it to studios, they said they they didn't think that Americans would want to watch a TV show with a lead who is not white, which uh, maybe that was true in the 70s. But I mean, there's certainly like a smacks a little bit of racism there. Right. And, And I mean, Bruce Lee definitely had to had to go through that a lot, a lot of that before he passed away. And uh, Warrior, which is a, a great, great TV show, I, can, I can't recommend it enough, um, is now on HBO Max. And, and in Canada, it's on Crave. If you're, if you're listening to this in Canada, you can watch it on Crave. Um, I watched season one of Raised by Wolves, which I, it's a weird sci-fi show. I think like if you want to boil it down, like it's, it takes place in the, the kind of an alternate near distant future and it's about how religious factions now that controlled the world went to war with one another destroyed earth via nuclear war or something similar and you know this enigmatic inventor hacker reprograms a couple of androids and sends them to a distant planet in order to repopulate the earth with uh, 12 embryos and they grow into kids so you can't imagine how that ties into the idea raised by wolves um Really weird. It's a weird show, I gotta say. I, I didn't 100% like the, <laughs> the first season, but my roommate really wanted to watch it. It was off the recommendation of one of our uh, one of our mutual uh, cousins. He's, he's my cousin, actually, so one of our other cousins um, recommended it as well. Weird weird show. I'd be, If anyone watches that, I'd, be, I'd love to hear what you think of Raised by Wolves. But again, t- like movie quality 
work, right? Like it, like the production budget, the, the acting, it's all top notch. It's all absolutely fantastic. But I mean, it's just it's strange to think that that's what TV looks like now, right? The era of like prestige TV has basically caught up with movies, right? I mean, it's been that way for a long time, but still. Um, and the other one I've been watching, and I guess this kind of ties into the idea of uh, of, of movies and and the 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 weird the weird kind of in between space between movies and television. Let's say Wandavision. WandaVision. Now, I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this, you like the Marvel movies, and we talk about the Marvel movies here on the Showtime Movie Podcast all the damn time because I enjoy them. I enjoy them. I kind of, I probably do tend to agree with Martin Scorsese when he says they're like they're almost not movies. It's like going to an amusement park. I, I kind of, I, I see where he's coming from, and I, I half agree, but I also really enjoy them. Right, I really like them. So, I, I definitely am watching WandaVision. And uh, again, it's, it's funny because it's a TV show about TV, I guess, in the sense that Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, is like trapped, quote unquote, inside of a, a television program that's evolving from the 50s to the 60s and onwards. Uh, it's funny. The last episode, I think, was a parody of Malcolm in the Middle, which I haven't watched a ton of over the course of my life. But at the same time, they nailed that 90s, 2000s sitcom era-esque like, vibe. And they have nailed every era. But I mean, it's, again, I've probably watched more of Malcolm in the Middle than I've watched I Love Lucy, right? So WandaVision is a lot of fun as well. If you like the Marvel movies and you like the continuity that it brings, you, you should be watching WandaVision. Because from what I can tell, this is going to lead into... Doctor Strange 2, right? Which right now I believe is called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I believe uh, Wanda, i.e. Elizabeth Olsen's character, is confirmed to have to be in that movie. So who knows? Maybe we'll even see Doctor Strange at the end of this season. They're promising a big cameo. So we'll have to see. My, my, personal, uh, my personal prediction is that we'll get like the Michael Fassbender Magneto switching universes. And that's how they'll introduce the mutants, I'm sure. That's a very popular theory as well. I'm not saying I invented that one, but still, I think uh, that'll be a fun, I think, uh, potential little bit there uh, as well. So yeah, WandaVision, Warrior, and Raised by Wolves are the TV shows I've been watching. It's crazy how much time watching TV takes up uh, when, when you're watching like one 30-minute or one 45-minute episode here and there. And my, my roommate and I, my cousin and I, we just started watching The Expanse the other night as well. As I've, I've read those books. If you, haven't, if you haven't read the books, they're by James S.A. Corey. They're fantastic. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, TV has, oh, for a long time now, already had caught up with movies. But there we go. We're, those, that's what's been keeping me from watching tons of movies. Funnily enough, I did actually watch uh, There Will Be Blood, uh, Gangs of New York and No Country for Old Men recently as well. And it's funny because those are really like, those are three amazing films, but they are three really heavy movies. I gotta say, they are three absolutely super heavy movies. Um, whenever I think of There Will Be Blood, I always think of a handful of scenes like this one. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! And that's just a snippet of it, of course, right? But Daniel Day-Lewis, what a legend, right? What a legend. I drink your milkshake, Eli. Oh, man. I've only ever seen that movie twice now. I mean, I've seen it once when it came out and then once again, like, a couple weeks ago or whatever. And, man, it's it's a fantastic, kind of sad movie. Um, And at the 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 very end when he just goes, I'm done. I'm done, right? Like, oh man, Daniel Day-Lewis deserved that Oscar, and that movie deserved all the all the uh, applause and and 
and uh, accolades that it got because it's absolutely fantastic. If you haven't watched it, I highly suggest you watch it. Um, or if you haven't revisited it in a while, I suggest you do that as well. Same goes for No Country for Old Men and uh, Gangs of New York. Although Gangs of New York a little, a little drags a little more, I think, with the kind of a nonsensical plot sometimes. Um, no Country for Old Men is definitely better. Um, whether No Country for Old Men is better than There Will Be Blood, that's another conversation. But uh, either way, both absolutely excellent films as well. And, uh, you know... I wanted to get to this before we get to our reviews. I know I've spent some, some time here rambling about TV and other things off the top, but I really wanted to get to this uh, before we talk about our reviews. Why didn't you tell me? What? To bring along my harmonica. Christopher Plummer, Toronto-born Christopher Plummer, passing away at age 91. And the guy had a really full life, and uh, it's always sad when you hear about people passing away, right? We talked about Sean Connery when he passed away uh, in the last episode or two. And yeah, I just, it, it, it bummed me out to hear, because Christopher Plummer, I never met him, but and, and uh, his movies, the you know, sound of music you heard there, everything about him just exuded class. I'm glad he got to taste an Oscar before he passed away because he deserved it, right? It, it always felt like maybe he'd get one of those lifetime Oscars, but then again, he just he won one of his own uh, of his own merit. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, also, real quick aside on Christopher Plummer, I remember when I was in university, which was I guess I went to university from two thousand eight to twenty thirteen, and I I think this was in. 2010 or 2011 i don't remember 100 percent when but uh he was a very uh prolific shakespearean actor right a stage actor and he uh usually around that time uh performed at stratford the stratford shakespeare festival which stratford i live in toronto stratford is probably like an hour maybe 90 minutes away from here by car and i'd gone a couple times in university and I had gone to see Christopher Plummer uh, play Prospero in The Tempest, in Stratford's production of The Tempest. And I got to say, he was radiant. Like, he was magnetic. He was so good. Oh, man. I, I wish I had gone to see him play King Lear as well. He had played King Lear, I think, a couple years prior to that at Stratford as well. But I, I never got to see his version of, of, uh, of King Lear. But his version of Prospero in The Tempest was absolutely phenomenal. And you add that on top of his amazing film career. You know, he, it's just, it's, it's, uh, incomparable, right? The incomparable Christopher Plummer. So rest in peace, Mr. Plummer. Thank you for giving us basically a lifetime's worth of absolutely phenomenal film memories. And, uh, yeah, Christopher Plummer passing away at the age of 91. All right. So I promised we would talk about a number of movies today. And uh, as I mentioned, Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom are going to be the three films we discussed today. Crazy to think, we'll start with Wonder Woman. It's crazy to think that, the very first episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast was about Wonder Woman. If you recall, remember, we did Wonder Woman and The Mummy, The Mummy Reboot, right, with Tom Cruise. And yeah, the Wonder Woman part of it was a lot of fun. The very first Wonder Woman movie with Gal Gadot, uh, directed by Patty Jenkins, was great. I, I, I had a lot of praise for it. I really enjoyed it. Probably still one of the, if not the best DC movie for the DCU, right, the DC Universe, uh, comparing to the MCU. And it's it's absolutely phenomenal. And Wonder Woman 1984, well, first of all, it was delayed a number of times. Not not the production of it, but the release of the movie was delayed a number of times because of the pandemic. And it finally was released on Christmas Day 
and I watched it on Christmas Day a couple times. I've watched it maybe like three or four times by now because I watched it with my family. Then I watched it again with my mom because she fell <laughs> she fell asleep when we watched it the first time. So I watched it with her on Boxing Day on December 26th. Uh, and then I watched it again with my brother. Then I think I watched it again with my fiance. So I've seen this movie a, a lot now. So I think I'm qualified to talk a little bit about what I liked and what I disliked about this film. Suffice to say, the like tweet-length review of this movie is that simply it wasn't very good. But we'll get it more into that right now. So here's the review for Wonder Woman 1984. Citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Who Becky saw goes? Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. I can't remember the last time I watched a movie that had such... Oh, man. What's the right word here? Promise for it only to be god-awful? You know what I mean? Like, The Wonder Woman 1984 is one of the worst movies of 2020. Honestly. I don't think that's a stretch to say. It's not a top 10 movie. And that's another conversation, I suppose. What are the top 10 movies in a year like 2020? Uh, Bad Boys 3 is probably on there, <laughs> if I had to think on the top of my head. Palm Springs, probably as well. But anyways, Wonder Woman 1984 is not on there. Mainly because I, I feel like when it comes to Wonder Woman, one of the reasons that the first one was so successful was that none of it really had to do with a man. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a, a big part of Wonder Woman's story, especially in, in the modern era, is that she, you know, you know, she loves a she loves a man, but it's not really reliant on that, right? And and I think that that aspect of feminism is really important for the character of Wonder Woman, and which is why I was so disappointed to learn that Wonder Woman 1984 is more or less entirely about Diana's love for Steve, right, for uh, Chris Pine's character. And again, they basically contrive a reason to bring him back. Okay, they contrive a reason. The entire movie. Is, is is essentially based around the granting of wishes, okay? It is basically a genie in a bottle type stuff, and Pedro Pascal, who you heard there, uh, you know, he absorbs a dream stone or something like that. I forget what the magical MacGuffin's name was, but he basically, like, eats it, and it becomes a part of him, and he's able to grant wishes, of course, as you might imagine, at a terrible cost to people. So Diana inadvertently wishes for Steve Trevor to return, and when she does that, it takes so it's, it's something like it takes away what you love the most and what what she not love the most, what's most important to you, and uh, what's most important to her, of course, are her superpowers. And so she starts to lose them. She becomes more mortal. So it's like that's the big trade off, right? And I think in a, a different movie, we may have been able to do it a little better in the sense that you know, uh, w- would she have been able to uh, keep her powers or keep Steve and? become immortal? Was that enough for her? And, and the answer obviously is no, because Wonder Woman is about fighting injustice and standing up for people and standing up for what's right. It's just, I don't know, it, the movie did, never really got off the ground. They go to different locales if only for some visual variety, but for no real reason, right? Like they go all the way to like Egypt or something to the Middle East and, and, and really only accomplish finding out one thing and they just fly back to North America. There are, are, are strange aberrations in what diana's powers are like she can suddenly turn things invisible 
Um, she can fly all of a sudden. And again, you suspend your disbelief when it comes to superhero movies. I get that, right? But based on the universe they established for Wonder Woman, it just seemed weird that they're going to throw all these things at you and be like, oh, okay, there you go, right? And and I think, uh, you know, the, the, the return of Steve Trevor as well, it's it's been a little controversial because he doesn't just come back to life. His like soul inhabits the body of a real guy, right? Like a real guy in the year 1984. His soul, like Steve Trevor's soul just takes over this guy's soul. And I guess this guy like Get Out style is just a passenger or is completely unaware, I guess, because he appears at the end of the movie and he doesn't seem to remember a single thing. So I guess that's to say that Steve Trevor just hijacks this guy's body, and there's a weird issue of consent there as well, which is, again, strange considering Wonder Woman and, and, the, and, and the idea behind her character would usually be really good with that kind of thing, right? So that was another really strange aspect. But if, if we move beyond that for a quick second, Steve Trevor himself, they, like, from the trailers, if you remember, we played a little bit of the trailer for you there, but if you recall, guys, the trailer, a large part of it was about this kind of fish-out-of-water scenario, right? Because Steve was someone who was like, you know, she met him as an adult during World War One, right? So that means he got, this guy would have been born in like the late 1800s, I would imagine, right? So if that's the case, they obviously chose 1984 certainly to move the timeline forward a little bit, but also to show you this kind of funny uh, Steve Trevor, fish-out-of-water stuff. And a big part of the first movie's uh, success was also the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine. So they want to recreate that in some form. And admittedly, when they do do that for the, little, the few minutes they do, it is funny. It is. But first of all, they showed all of that in the trailer, so you're expecting it. There wasn't a lot more beyond what they showed in the trailer. And then on top of that, you look at the period of 1984, and there's nothing about the 80s that was integral to this plot. Like, they don't really use a ton of 80s music. They don't really make use of the setting really at all beyond giving Diana a couple of uh, 80s hairdos and, and, and Kristen Wiig a couple of 80s hair, uh, hairdos as well and outfits to really work with. But no 80s music. Uh, and there's nothing about the 80s that they use to really show that Steve Trevor is a fish out of water, right? Like, they take him to the National Air and Space Museum, and he goes, wow, look at the spaceships and jets and stuff. Like, holy crap. And I think to myself, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Then he, he goes on an escalator, and he's amazed by an escalator. And then he goes into a subway, and he's blown away by subways, right? Like, you know, underground and whatnot. And all I could think of was subways and escalators existed in World War I. Like maybe not to the same degree they exist today, but he would have known what an escalator is and what an underground subway is. Like, again, maybe, maybe he's amazed at the ease to which people use it or whatever, but they existed in World War I, right? So his bafflement at it baffled me in turn because they could have used any number of things to really show that he is a fish out of water in 1984, right? And they could have used a tape deck and had some fun 80s music. They could have used a computer, which Diana does use. They talk about how Diana doesn't have a TV, and then they go into her room, and she has like a thousand TVs, like her security TVs or whatever. And I guess it's not the same thing, but she clearly knows and uses, you know, TVs. I don't know. This movie is just full of weird, uh, you know, kind of contradicting little things like that. And then you add on top of it that like a lot of the movie is about how Diana is like, consumed with her her love and obsession for Steve Trevor, a guy that she knew for about a week, right? She like if you think about it, she knew him for about a week during the course of uh, World War One, maybe a little longer than that, but still like she didn't know him for that long. And you're telling me over like seventy years later, she's still pining for for Steve Trevor. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, it everything about it 
kind of rubs me the wrong way. And that's without even getting into Kristen Wiig and Pe- Pedro Pascal, who are fine, right? Like, P- Kristen Wiig is another character who wishes for something, and she becomes, like, she she's, like, this nerd character who ends up uh, wanting to become more popular. She meets Diana and wants to be more like Diana, right? She wants to be more cool and stuff. The funny thing is, of course, is that they make Kristen Wiig who is attractive in real life, they make her super hot. She's like incredibly hot from the, very, from the very beginning of the movie, from the get-go. She's incredibly attractive. And you think to yourself, oh, okay, like, what's wrong with this woman? And then, like, she's walking into work, and the way they show that she's a loser is that she, you know, this incredibly attractive woman walks into work, and her briefcase, like, falls open and papers fall out. She's like, oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Paulo, Paul, sorry, would you help me with this? And they kind of look at her and go, huh, what a loser, and they walk away. And I think to myself, yeah, that's nothing to do with Kristen Wiig's character, and everything to do with that Paul guy, who is clearly a psycho, who, like, who would do that to their coworker, right? Nobody would do that. If you know this woman, you'd help her at least pick up her papers and Diana helps her pick up her papers and they become friends right but I don't know it's just the the other funny part too is she wishes to become hot right she wants to be like hot and sexy like Diana and (laughs) there's a part where she goes to she falls asleep in her office and she was wearing like I think she was wearing like a skirt or something and like a, a crop top or whatever like some 80s style clothes and so the next morning she like takes off her skirt she's wearing like leggings underneath and she just walks out of her office with like uh, uh, her sweater over you know kind of just draped over down past her waist and it's, it's a relatively modern look like people do that today right and it's not strange at all and I guess maybe it was strange in the 80s because she walks out of her office just wearing the leggings and her sweater and like her tussled hair and her glasses and she and everyone goes hey looking good beautiful and i think to myself what on earth she didn't change anything about herself i don't know then eventually she changes into the cheetah and she fights diana and again it's just it's just all over the place the pedro pascal who you heard in the in the clip there he had probably one of my favorite parts of the entire movie he just hams it up as a maxwell lord and i'm gonna play a clip for you here this is this is i think my favorite part of the whole movie My goodness, like just like I said, just hamming it up, right? Absolutely hamming it up. Um, I'm, I'm glad Pedro Pascal has become more famous because I find him wildly entertaining. He is probably, in my opinion, personally, the best part of this whole movie. Okay, he he clearly like I'm not saying he didn't care, but he like it brought like a campiness to this movie that it kind of needed because everything else about this movie was taking itself way too seriously for a movie that does weird stuff like letting Diana fly through the air and turning jets invisible and having a world war one soldier come back from the dead to inhabit another man's body. And he just knows how to fly a night, like an eighties fighter jet, like a subsonic jet. No, I'm sorry. Like there's a lot, there's way too much here for me to say, yeah, okay, I believe this. Like even for someone who likes superhero movies and so on, but at the same time, I enjoyed the campiness of Pedro Pascal and that's probably the only thing ultimately I did enjoy, unfortunately. So, uh, I spent uh, $29.99 Canadian on this movie to rent it. I, I watched it four times because I felt like I needed to get my money's worth. I guess we did because my entire family watched it, but at the same time, look, like I would hard, heartily suggest 
that if you're listening to this and you don't care about spoilers and you listen to the plot description and all these things, I would suggest waiting for this movie to just beak out on you know HBO Max or Crave or whatever streaming service you watch for like that you already pay for without having to pay an extra fee on top because it is by far not worth that money and is one of the worst superhero movies to come out in the last couple of years. All right, so that's my, uh, let's say, less than positive review of Wonder Woman 1984. Let's move right on to a movie I talked about off the top of this episode, Soul, the latest Pixar movie. Again, probably, probably right now the favorite to win, the heavy favorite, I should say, to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar. Uh, So let's get right into Disney Pixar's latest Soul. to rank them you know what i mean like you watch one of these movies and you think to yourself like i even even including recency bias you think to yourself man where does this movie stack up with the rest of the uh, pretty good to very good excellent amazing right if that was the, if that's the scale of disney pixar movies and i i think I, I was probably a prisoner of the moment when i watched it immediately i think i watched it twice right i watched it uh, the day came out on Disney+, Plus, which is where it was available for the first time. And I watched it again. Well, I, I watched it again on Disney+, Plus, certainly, with my, my cousin, uh, my roommate, because he hadn't seen it. Okay? He hadn't seen it. So we watched it a couple of times uh, over the span of a couple of days. And, and I think initially I thought Soul, I would say it's a top five Pixar movie. Then I thought to myself, you know what? Pixar has a lot of really good movies, a lot of bangers. So... Again, maybe it's not in the top five, but I would say it's pretty safely in the top ten, right? And I think because as Pixar has gone on with telling stories, right? I mean, if you look back to even Inside Out, which was, what, 2015 or something like that? A number of years ago. And Inside Out was about emotions, right? It was emotions and how you deal with emotion and how emotion is important in your life. And Soul... In this, in the same kind of abstract way, Soul is about what it is to be maybe... Maybe a person, right? What it is to live, I think, is the is the giant question they ask, right? What does it mean to be alive? And the way they explore this is by having the, the main character, Joe Gardner, who is a musician. And Joe, after getting the gig of his life, dies. And you saw that in the trailer, right? And you kind of see he believes it's not his time. And he tries to fight against his own destiny, his own fate, and uh, tries to make it back to Earth in order to live out the rest of his life. So when it comes to... And he, he, over the course of the movie, he, he meets another soul, and Joe is voiced by Jamie Foxx, and this other soul, soul like... It, it was like a numbered character name, but it was... Uh, soul was... This, the other soul was uh, voiced by Tina Fey. And again, before we get into the rest of the review, I understand there is some uh, controversy about how finally they have a, a black character be the main focus of a movie. He dies very early on in the movie. You know, he doesn't really look black for the rest of the movie because all the souls are like this kind of ethereal blue color. And then when he finally does get back to Earth, he accidentally falls into the body of a cat and Tina Fey's soul falls into the body of Joe Gardner. So like, even when there is a black character on screen, it's like con- in controlled in control by and voiced by a white woman, right? So I, I, and I 
fully sympathize with that because they could have very easily not have Tina Fey in this role, right? I'm not, I don't dislike Tina Fey by any means, but they could have very easily had like Tiffany Haddish in this role. They could have had they could have had any black comedian if they wanted a comedian in this in that role they could have had any number of black people in that role other than tina fey i get it tina fey is really famous but i mean come on like let's be real here right so i for for one i have, i fully understand that criticism um but you, you look back you look back at the the film itself and i think it does a great job of showing you that the the, the, the core concept i guess is that Everyone, I think, thinks that there is something that drives them in life, right? And they go, they show this by, by you know, new souls before they go down to Earth are given like a little like a, like it's it's kind of like a Boy Scout badge almost, right? And you get like a bunch of different different like little concepts, and little aspects of your badge that are supposed to be things that fill out your personality, right? So maybe some people for Joe it was music, right? And for me maybe it's uh, talking about sports or watching sports or movies or something like that, right? That maybe that's mine. Um, for others, it's sailing. For others, it's it's baking and cooking, right? Like, who, who knows what it is? But that's what you, you find inspiration from and you derive satisfaction from and you find your passion for, right? It's some something, some aspect of living, and it could be anything huge to something really minor. And I think the movie really goes out of its way to show that, you know, even if your thing is really minor and it turns out that Tina Fey's characters, her thing is simply to live. And they refer to it as, I think they refer to it as, what, like jazzing or something like that? I forgot what they exactly what they exactly refer to it as, but it's essentially she is excellent at living. Her the zest for life is so strong with her character that it is that that's where that's why you know she took so long to find it because you can't really find out that you have a zest for life until you have lived right. And this you know so I find it I find it really interesting. It's a lot of really deep concepts about it, um, and, and I think Soul tackles it in a very pretty way, a very meaningful and beautiful way. And also, I don't just mean that from a from a storytelling perspective, but from a a visual perspective. Man, you compare Soul to the early Pixar movies. Like you compare Soul to the first Pixar movie, Toy Story, or you compare it to A Bug's Life. Man, it blows those movies out of the water. Like the texture on people's hair, what food looks like, what water looks like, what leaves look like as they blow through the wind. As a character's like Joe's fingers as he touches piano keys, it's crazy. Like it's a, it's one of the prettiest movies. And honestly, if if there was any justice in the world, it wouldn't just win best animated picture. It would win probably like best visual effects too, because it is amazing what it looks like. I gotta say that is to me the most impressive part. Not just the really good story and the good character development and all that kind of good stuff, but that stuff as well. The visual the visual effects. Not much else for me to say about Soul, other than if you haven't seen it and you like Disney movies, you're gonna like this one. Right, I, I will say real quick though, it's not really a movie for kids. You know, like a lot of these Pixar movies are ones that they, they like the whole family can watch. And that's kind of a core thing that Disney created when going all the way back to the Little Mermaid in 1989. Like they created movies that not just kids could watch and get something out of, but the family could, so the parents could sit down and watch it. I I feel like most Pixar movies and most Disney movies do fall into that category. Still, I'm not sure that Soul 100% does because I'm not sure what kids would take away from this movie, like little kids, I mean, right? Maybe like a 10-year-old would watch this and really enjoy it. And I find even then you'd be pushing it, right, with, with how, how they might feel a little bored. But I really do think that, like, if, if, you're a, if you have a 5-year-old and you want them to watch the latest Disney Pixar movie, you plunk them down in front of the TV and you put on Soul, they will be bored, I think. Because there's not a lot of really funny moments that are just for kids, if that makes sense, right? Like, Inside Out did have those things. Frozen obviously has those things. Tangled does have those things as well. 
even uh, Onward from earlier this year, Onward had a lot of those moments, and Onward is, I would say, more geared towards kids, and it's an adventure and all these things with uh, some some adult moments in there. This is a movie for grown-ups, I think, personally. So, look, if you if you have kids and they watched it and they liked it, hey, more power to you. I really, I, I do not, you know, don't hold that against you. Don't begrudge you that. I, I, you know, it's hard enough to keep kids entertained. I, I know. So, hey, look, if, if it works for you, it works, right? But I'm just saying I think it, it might work better if you pick a different movie. But ultimately, yeah, Soul, absolutely terrific. Great Pixar movie, great movie in general, and I expect it to win uh, the Best Animated Feature Oscar in a couple of months. All right, the last movie we'll do on this episode of the podcast will be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Now, this one stars uh, Viola Davis, who, frankly, I think is one of the, if not the best actors of my lifetime. Viola Davis, just absolutely phenomenal. I'll, I'll watch any movie Viola Davis is in, honestly. So, uh, Viola Davis, and of course, the late... Chadwick Boseman, which we had talked about when he passed away a couple of months ago. It's impossible to really know if he knew this would be his last live role, like last film role. Um, probably not, because all accounts are that before he passed away, he thought he would beat it right up until his death, unfortunately. Um, and, and we wish he had, but all you know, this is now the last role he'll be known for uh, as Levy, the uh, horn player in this band. So um, you know, it's an interesting movie. It's based on a play, so it's a lot of uh, very similar to One Night in Miami. It's very like a not slow, but you know, there a lot of scenes just take place with people just standing around talking, basically moving around, talking in a single room, and uh, it's very very small scale, but still very compelling. So let's talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. All right, boys, you didn't see the rest. Now I'm gonna show you the best. Ma Rainey's gonna show you her Black Bottom. Way down south in Alabama I got a friend they call Dancing Sammy Who's crazy about all the latest dancing Black bottom stomps and the new baby prancing The other night So it's not actually Viola Davis singing Either way, the old-timey music is always pretty fun to listen to. And, and look, the, the movie does have other actors, but we're only going to really talk about Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman because, I mean, they're the two heavyweights. They're the two powerhouse performances of this movie. And look, we'll start with Viola Davis because you just heard her voice singing there, or you heard you heard Ma Rainey's character singing there, I should say. And Ma Rainey is a real person. She was, uh, you know, existed at this time, you know, the, the early 1900s, and and I think this movie does obviously deal with a lot of racism, right? It deals with how cops viewed people and how, you know, even her own manager, who is white, how how he viewed her and how it almost felt like she was forced to create this outsized persona of Ma Rainey and maybe partly because she's a stage performer and a lot of performers are just like that. But at the same time, uh, she had to create that persona in order to be able to live, right? In order to be able to you know, deal with the, the, the really mean people and deal with the expectations that come with her being black. And I think it's really fascinating to see how Viola Davis really captures that, right? Because she, like Ma Rainey, often in this movie comes across as mean. Like she seems mean. And then at the end, when she gets her big monologue at the end of the movie, towards the end, I should say, you know, you really learn a little bit about why she created the facade that she did and why she has to be like this in order to get paid right be treated fairly because even her own manager doesn't treat her fairly sometimes right and they have to suck up to her because they know her kind of records sell and yeah i don't know it's just it's an absolutely fascinating role for viola davis and she captures it with with magnetism and the the kind of kind of like 
barely contained anger under the surface, right? And and how she tre- and how she treats other people and how she's looking out for the people who she is loyal to. Viola Davis just captures Ma Rainey from top to bottom, and black bottom, I guess. I guess I should say. Uh, but yeah, the, and of course, the, the song you heard, I should mention as well. You you heard off the top is the is that song, right? Like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as you heard the the young man introduce off the top of that song is the name of the movie and also the name of the song they sing, right? And that's the kind of source of contention. That, that she, So she's the singer. The boy who, who intros it is her nephew. He has a stuttering problem, but she wants him to do it, so they kind of have to go through take after take after take. And, of course, in the, in the 1900s, like, if I do a take for this podcast, if I, if I screw up something, I can just stop talking, click delete, and start over again, right? But back then, of course, you had to record onto actual uh, vinyl discs, right? Like actual recording discs, and every time you screwed up, you have to throw a disc away, right? And those things were expensive. But she kept on doing it over and over and over again because that boy was her nephew, and she promised his mother that, you know, she'd get something. He'd get his own money paid out of the proceeds for this album. And, of course, she has a backup here, the music in the background as well. She's just singing. There's a piano player. There's a trombone player. There's a cello player, and there's a, a horn player. And that horn player is played by Chadwick Boseman. His name is Levy. And Levy is an interesting character, right? Because as I mentioned, this is a, this movie is based on a play. Uh, I believe there have been two productions of this play, right? I think there was one in the 80s and one in the early 2000s. I have not seen them, but those are the, those are the kind of uh, stage productions so far, at least. I'm sure in the near future we'll see another one. Um, but yeah, uh, Levy is another character who deals with barely contained anger, just bubbling under the surface. And he deals with it in a most fascinating way. Chadwick Boseman's performance is so powerful because he, he, he basically is, is super charming. He's super smooth. He's, very, he's a flirt. He, he's, a, he's a fast talker. Always go with a, a comeback, a one-timer, right? And, but you know, as soon as you get to know him, you, you realize that that aspect of his personality is really just a whole facade as well, right? Just like Ma Rainey, because of all the traumas he has endured as a young man. He talks about his family. He has two really amazing monologues uh, towards this in, in this movie, and one about God and where God has been in his life, and one about his father and mother and and why they are in the place they are in their life in his life as well. And both absolutely just rapturous monologues. Like you can't take your eyes off Chadwick Boseman. And it's it's it kind of sad too, right? Because obviously you're watching this and he's already passed away. And you're watching this and his body is is so wiry, right? And then uh, and and now you know, uh, you the viewer and me the, the watching this as well. We know that it's because he was living with cancer in real life, right? The actor. And it, it's interesting because it again, there was no way they could have known this at the time because I'm sure they thought he would beat it. But in the movie itself, because he's so thin and wiry, it almost seems like, again, even more like you're, you're, he's bubbling with rage and it's just barely contained in this thin, kind of emaciated body, right? And again, a bit, maybe I am projecting something onto this because Chadwick Boseman is, has, has died and if, if he had still lived, would that be an aspect of it? Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I, I freely admit, maybe it wouldn't be, right? But at the same time, it's hard to really separate that from the context of the movie itself uh, because of because of his performance. He is just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I I fully expect, I know we all, I always say, like, maybe we shouldn't reduce things to whether or not it gets nominated for an Oscar. But because I, either way, I think that Chadwick Boseman's role will be what people remember him for. Like, obviously, Black Panther will be what people remember him for. And remember, he was in Draft Day as well. And obviously, he was in 
the 42 movie, remember you, remember you played Jackie Robinson opposite Harrison Ford? Um, and, and look, th- those movies had their own problems. I will never say it, those movies had problems because of Chadwick Boseman. Maybe other problems. Um, even, even if I didn't really care for the, the 42 movie all that much because, you know, I like sports and I like baseball and so on. But I, I, I thought he was a good portrayal of Jackie Robinson. But I genuinely think, even if you include Black Panther, I genuinely think people will remember his role going forward in time. Uh, from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's that good. Um, again, I, I really hope it gets recognized with some accolades, uh, not just because he passed away, but but because it is that good. And uh, yeah, the movie itself, you know, there's there's some little supernatural elements sprinkled into the characters' beliefs, right? Not just God, but other things as well. Um, they talk about, again, racism. You see a run-in with a cop when Ma Rainey's car is hit by another car, and, you know, they, they're going to call the police and, like, arrest her, but even though the other car hit them first. And it's just a lot of stuff like that that is, is very, obviously, emblematic of the time the movie takes place in, but also very relevant to today in, in 2020 and 2021, right? So it's, it's just really interesting. I think uh, it's a very short movie as well, just a little over 90 minutes, I believe. And uh, I think it's, it's one of those things that you can watch very easily but it, it still leaves you feeling a little a little uneasy afterwards, not just because of the performances, but because of all the implications with race and uh, and how it, it reflects the time, but also today's as well. But yeah, Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis, just absolutely two phenomenal performances, and I can't recommend it enough. Available on Netflix, I think. Another streaming movie. Again, we talked about before about the, the proliferation of streaming films, so another Netflix film uh, where you can watch one of the best performances of the year. That's it from me for movie reviews today. Uh, it's been a while, so you know, getting back into the swing of things with reviewing these films. But yeah, we did Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, again, apologies that it keeps taking so darn long. I'm, I'm hoping that now that things have gotten back into a little bit of a rhythm, the Super Bowl is over. And as I mentioned, so you know, now my schedule becomes a little more regular. So hopefully we can get back into the swing of things with podcasting and, and episodes here and there. Uh, the next episode, I'm not going to promise it'll, it'll come out before the end of February, but I will say it will come out in the next 30 days because a lot of movies are out now and then a couple more coming out soon. So here are the movies I want to get to the next episode, okay? Uh, Malcolm and Marie, starring John David Washington and, uh, of course, Zendaya. And, uh, you know, the reviews have been kind of mixed. The early reviews just came out a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Um, and it's interesting because I think that movie has a lot to do with the – like not to do with the pandemic, but it was filmed during the pandemic. So I'm excited to see what a very more a more intimate film like this looks like. So Malcolm and Marie, that's on Netflix. Judas and the Black Messiah starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. I believe Jesse Plemons is in that movie as well. But that movie actually just came out a couple of days ago streaming-wise. So, um, you know, it's hard to find. It's HBO Max available in the United States, but uh, in Canada, different, right? It's not even like – available on Crave, like Wonder Woman was, to rent for a premium price. So I'll have to find a way to watch that. And maybe maybe Cineplex here. I think the Cineplex store might be able to watch it. Maybe I can use my scene points if that's the case, because I haven't used them. I for sure haven't used them at all in 2020, so hopefully you can use them there. So Judas and the Black Messiah. I want to see Space Sweepers, which is, a, I believe, a big-budget Chinese movie, and kind of in the same vein as The Wandering Earth, if you remember we talked about that. So a futuristic movie about people who kind of you know, uh, collecting junk and, and they're, you know, space sweepers, as you might imagine, right? And then they find something that they shouldn't have found. And apparently it's an action comedy kind of thing. It looks very high budget. So we'll add that to the list. Greenland, which I believe is a disaster movie starring, I, I forget, I think it was Gerard Butler. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an Amazon Prime movie. And yeah, about like asteroids crashing into Earth and causing an extinction level event. Apparently very easy watch, very silly. So we'll add that to the list as well. And probably the movie I'm most excited to watch, Minari, starring Steven Yeun. And 
Look, this movie was a subject of some controversy as well, that it wasn't nom- it couldn't have been nominated, it wasn't allowed to be nominated by the Golden Globes for Best Picture because the movie is in Korean, right? And I find that ridiculous because while it is in Korean and now they're limiting it, limiting it to foreign film only, right? Best foreign film only, despite the fact that it is made in America, stars American actors, and it is about America. Like, it is about the American dream, considering it's about Korean immigrants who come from overseas to live in america and live out their lives here right so i find that fascinating again the hollywood foreign press association is is pretty much garbage so not a hundred percent shocked at that but hopefully it gets a a little better reception at the oscars because of course the the hollywood foreign press has what like the body is something like less than 100 people or something like that and the oscars are are what almost ten thousand people so you would hope minari gets released soon and gets some really positive momentum and reception uh, when it does come out. Interestingly enough, the way I'm going to watch it, similar to how I watched the TIFF movies this year, uh, is, is via TIFF. They actually had they, they had like a, an advanced screening. Uh, I think in a, I think the end of this coming week, and that sold out immediately, right? And I guess they, it must have been so popular because they released another screening, which is coming out on February 23rd. And I did buy tickets to that, so I'm going to be able to watch that on the 23rd. So. After the 23rd, at some point in the next week or two after the 23rd is where I'm going to aim to get this episode out because that, that episode, I should, I should say, because then I'll, I'll have watched all of those movies and uh, Minari will be the capper and then we can talk about it uh, fresh, right? So there you go. We'll, we'll, do, we'll aim to do five movies in the next episode. So we won't talk for a, as long as we did off the top today because, uh, you know, it's kind of catching up with you guys. But I know, I know people don't really care, care for when podcasts talk about, you know, like random crap for like 15 to 20 minutes and then get into stuff. But I hope it was at least somewhat relevant with the TV and Christopher Plummer and all that stuff. Again, rest in peace to Mr. Christopher Plummer at age 91. But uh, hopefully next time we'll have some more movies to talk about. As I mentioned, Minari and company. But until then, thank you so much, as always, for still tuning in, still listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I'm your host, as always, show. I hope you stay safe. And as always... Have a great night. I'm finished.